Today's episode of Recovery Survey is fueled by Brainwash Coffee Company. I'm sure you've heard that drug and alcohol use is on the rise, especially during the pandemic. And Brainwash Coffee Company is working to raise money and awareness to support people seeking help. They donate 50% of their profits and their mission is to give back to the amazing recovery community. Their why is bold and their coffee is fresh. So if you want to sip on an amazing brew that warms your mind, body, and soul, then visit brainwashcoffeeco.com and use promo code recovery survey at checkout to get $5 off your first order. Brainwash Coffee Company, simple coffee for complicated people. You're listening to Recovery Survey, the podcast that shatters stigmas around different types of addictions and takes a deep dive into spiritual principles. I go down to the basement and I throw a rope around my neck and I stand on a bucket. I guess about three, four minutes go by and she comes down the steps and she sees me standing on the bucket with a rope around my neck and I'm crying. And she says, what are you doing? And I said, I can't do this. I was like, I just, I, I want the pain to stop. I can't do this anymore. My guest today is named Tim Lodgen. He is a sober content creator and an amateur bodybuilder. Welcome to the show, Tim. How you doing? Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm Tim Lodgen and uh, I'm from Baltimore, Maryland. And I uh, really appreciate you having me on today, man. Absolutely, man. Glad to have you on. And I saw, I believe it was on Instagram that you guys were, that you were doing something with uh, Light It Up. Yes. Yeah. They actually contacted me uh, about a week ago and they were very interested in my page. They were, they saw me on a couple other podcasts. Um, they had me on a, on an Instagram live and uh, we talked for about an hour about my recovery, about my, you know, how it was, how it, how it is and, and what I have coming up in the future. And I was really nice. And then the lady who started it, Sandra, she contacted me afterwards and, and said, that was such a great episode. We want to do some more stuff with you. And, um, you know, they want to connect in the future and hopefully they'll have me, they're going to have me back on, but hopefully they, they want me to speak somewhere with them. And, um, man, it's just the opportunities that recovery has given me within this year is just, I, I can't even explain it. It's so awesome. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I actually had Sandra on my show. Oh man. It's probably been about a year and a half ago. It was, I can't even remember the episode number. I want to say it's like in the thirties. Um, and that was the first time Sandra had ever done a podcast and then we somehow we connected and then we stayed in touch since then. So I saw, I think I saw about 10 minutes of your, of your live on Instagram the other day. So that was cool. I was like, Oh, Hey, I'm interviewing him in a couple days. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it's dude. It's, when I first got sober, I didn't want to speak. When I was in rehab, I didn't raise my hand. I didn't want to tell my story. I just, I just wasn't ready. And about six, seven months into my recovery and going to the meetings and working the 12 steps and the 12 traditions, I was like, you know what? I have to start speaking and I have to start sharing my story of hope and recovery because talking to this, I love my meetings, but talking to the same 40 to 50 people every week you're only reaching a certain amount of people. So I started messaging a bunch of different podcasts and I started getting responses. And now I, 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 I literally check my messages and people are asking me to come and speak. 
And it's so awesome that I get to connect with so many different people from so many different states, different countries, like Canada, United Kingdom. It's just really awesome. The broad spectrum of my ability to be able to speak to people and hopefully help somebody is just amazing. And I was the same way, especially in the beginning of recovery. I didn't ever want to talk at meetings. I was telling my sponsor the other day, I was, I was confessing to him when I first started going to meetings, I would, I would be there on time, but I would stay in the parking lot for about the first 10 minutes because I was petrified that somebody was going to ask me to read. And I did not want to read in front of anybody because I was afraid I was going to mess up the words. I would intentionally be late just so that that didn't happen. Well, that's funny. And now here I am hosting a podcast, which I never thought I would do because that's for, for people that know me in my own personal life. That's not really my thing. I'm not, I'm, I'm a pretty quiet person most of the time. So it's kind of, it's out of my comfort zone a little bit, but you know, at this point I've been doing it almost two years now. So I think. You know, awesome. I've kind of gotten over the the fright of of talking in front of people and 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 you know sharing my story and stuff. But that's awesome, man! Hell yeah, yeah. And I was in kind of the same boat as you, man. I started the the podcast right before COVID hit, and it was like perfect timing, man. I just had like this. I don't know if it was higher power or what you would. I don't know. I just had. I felt like I needed to start this podcast, and then COVID hits. Like right as I think episode one or two came out, and it was like. Oh, well, here's my way that I can continue to help people in recovery and and spread the message of recovery, even though we're stuck at home. So it was kind of cool how everything has worked out and the amount of, like you were talking about, just the, the reach that we can have through platforms like this and other, you know, podcasts, YouTube channels, whatever it may be, and still be able to carry that message and and help people. Yeah. And, you know, it was funny because the the one day I I did a podcast, our, our, uh, our meeting was about anonymity. And it was like how to keep it out of press and radio and films. I literally was like, well, I'm doing a podcast tonight. And one of the older members there who'd been there for like 30 or 40 years, she's like, and it came back to her and she's like, and Tim, she goes, that's just a shame that you're going to be speaking on a podcast. You know, that's not what you're supposed to not break anonymity. And I'm like, well, I'm not mentioning anybody. I don't say what fellowship I'm in. I keep it to my story. And I was like, and if I have the ability to reach people that I normally wouldn't do, isn't that part of our program as we help each other? I was like, so why wouldn't I share and hopefully reach somebody that I never would have the opportunity of seeing or reaching? And I did the podcast. And five days after I did this podcast, I got a phone call. I was actually, um, I grew up with Brandon Novak from Jackets. He called me to go pick up a table to go take it to one of his recovery houses because he didn't have a pickup truck. He's like, hey, man, I'm sorry. He's like, do you have any time to go pick this up and bring it to him? I'm like, yeah, sure, buddy. I got you. So I went and picked it up. As I'm waiting in the guy's driveway for him to come and unlock the garage, I get this phone call. And he's like, Tim? And I'm like, yeah. I was like, who's this, man? He goes, this is Tony. The only two Tonys I know were my stepdad and a gentleman that I served in the Marine Corps with in 1994. And I was like is this Tony from the Marine Corps? And he goes, yeah, man. I was like, well, what's going on, man? He's like, I'm not doing good. And I'm like, what's, what's the problem? He's like, I've been addicted to pills for 18 years. He's like, I listened to your podcast four days ago. He goes, I'm four days sober. He's like, you instilled hope in me. He goes, I don't want to do this anymore. He goes, I've hurt my friends, my family, my jobs. He said, I just don't want to live this life anymore. And he goes, and I just had to contact you. And tell you thank you for being honest and sharing your story. 
I talked to him three days ago. He's now going on 53 days sober after 18 years. And if I wouldn't have done that podcast, he lives in Ohio. I wouldn't, he would have never heard that message. That never would have clicked in him and, 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 he's, and he wouldn't have been sober right now. So I'm so grateful for having the opportunities to be on podcast and share my story. That's incredible, man. That is absolutely incredible. And that's exactly the whole reason behind this show, man, is to, to try to reach those people that might not hear the recovery message otherwise. Because I know for me in my own journey, I didn't really know about meetings or like the only thing I really knew about as far as recovery was rehabs. Right. And at the end of my addiction, there was no way I was going to get into a rehab. I didn't have two cents to rub together, man. And if I did, I would have I would have traded it for a sack. So there's no way I would I would have gone right. to rehab. So That's you know, funny. having having these free resources is is awesome. And like you said, you never know who it can touch. And and just by recovering out loud and letting people see that it is possible. I mean, I've gotten messages on on Facebook from people that I you know old coworkers or people I've gone to school with you know that I haven't seen in years. And I've gotten several where people are like, hey, I I heard the recent episode and. I've been going through something similar. I'm like, oh, okay, you want to talk and like, you know, reconnect and and you know help them find find a solution. Like, hey, here's what I did. Here's you know, here's some local meetings you might want to check out. Here's you know, here's some other resources. And it's just amazing to see how many people we can touch when we're when we're honest and and share our story and we and we're vulnerable and willing to do that. Yeah, no, it's true. And you know, and and in the height of my addiction, I didn't want to talk to nobody. I, I, I avoided messages. I avoided phone calls. I, you know, I just wanted to drink and wallow in my sorrows. And from going to that, to the ability and the want to share my story, total three, like a total 180. Like it's just the person that I was, I tried to commit suicide and I lost hope in myself. I didn't know what my purpose was. I didn't know why I was here. You know, I thought my family would be better off without me. Um, I thought I was, a, you know, a piece of crap and there was no reason for me to be breathing. Now, I truly believe that my higher power put me through what I had to go through to be able to do this, to experience what he had and had planned for me. Because I wasn't grateful for anything. I, I I took everything for granted. And now that I've gone through that, I appreciate every single day. I appreciate waking up. I appreciate having a job, a home, a vehicle, you know, and I didn't care about any of that stuff. All I wanted to do was get drunk and get high and and pretty much just be a selfish asshole. And now the last person that I think about is myself. And I couldn't have done that by myself. So it came from somewhere. And I'm just, I'm just amazed that from going so dark and deep, it's just amazing to me that I'm given this opportunity to be able to help others and I'm not going to waste it. Yeah, man, it truly is a, a miracle. And I, I think the same thing, man, because there are so many times in my using that, that I should have ended up dead or in prison and, you know, looking back on it in, in hindsight, it's like my higher power had some kind of role in this. And there's, there's a reason that I'm still here and I might not fully understand what that reason is, but I want to do my best to, 
to give away that free gift that I was given and let people know that recovery is possible. Like that's, that's pretty much what I do in my free time is something recovery related. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I mean, like you said, I mean, that we're, we were given this opportunity to do it and we're taking full advantage of it where unfortunately a lot of people, it doesn't, it just doesn't register. I'll give you an example, man. Um, March 16th of 2017, I, I was like, I'm done. Like, I, I just, I don't want to be here anymore. I got in my truck and I, and I drove down to this pretty reservoir down by my house. And then, and then people go boating there and walk the dogs and go running. It's a nice, big, huge park. And I'm driving through it and I'm banging on the steering wheel and I'm crying. And I'm like, please send me a sign. Why am I here? Like, like is, is there anything other than what I'm doing in life? I just need to know that I'm not alone and I'm, I have a purpose. And I get around to the bend and um, my senior year of high school, my best friend um, lost his life in a car accident. He hit the tree and at the tree is a vigil and they have a book there and you can write to him and put flowers on the tree. And, and I stopped at the tree <clears throat> and I was like, Bill, I was like, I can't do this anymore. I'm a drug addict. I'm an alcoholic. I don't know what to do. And I just feel as if I'm alone. Please help me. Send me a sign that something else is out there. And I leave, I get in my truck and I leave and I'm starting to leave the reservoir. And instead of leaving, I, I really couldn't drive. I was crying, dude. I was a mess. I was a hot mess. And instead of parking on the, the side where you're supposed to park to, I parked across the street on the left-hand side facing traffic. And I sit there for about 10 minutes and this car pulls up. And I'm looking at the guy and he gets out of his car and he grabs his dog. He's about to dog, walk his dog. And I look up and I realize it was my best friend Bill's father, whom I haven't seen since my friend's funeral in 1996. I get out of the car and I look at him. I said, Mr. Bill. And he's like, Timmy, what's wrong? And I just lost it, man. I just started crying. I fell to the curb. And he comes over to me and he says, Tim, I'm not even supposed to be here today. He's like, my bags are packed in the car. I was supposed to be in Myrtle Beach this morning. He said, but my wife came to me in a dream last night and told me to go to Lock Raven Reservoir and walk the dog at 10 a.m. He said, I truly believe that I was sent here to talk to you this morning. Dude, I, I get chills every time I tell a story because there's no explanation for that. But I still drank for another four years after that. It still wasn't enough to click. But something at that point was trying to tell me that, you know, I wasn't alone and I do have a purpose to be here, but it took me another four years to realize that. Wow. I have goosebumps in my arms right now too, man. That's, that's a crazy story. Isn't it? It's insane, man. If you wouldn't mind, I would love to hear a little bit more about what it was like then, you know, take us through how, maybe how you started using and what those years looked like and then how you found recovery. You know, all through middle school and high school, I was an athlete. Uh, I was a junior Olympic boxer. I played football. I was uh, almost a professional skateboarder. That's how I met Brandon. I, I, I went to elementary middle school with him and always skated with him and Bucky Lasik and Matt Martin, like some really cool big dudes. I was always into athletics. Ninth grade, there was a ninth grade freshman party and um, I drank some beer and I got so sick. Like it, I was completely sick. And I didn't like alcohol. I didn't touch alcohol and I didn't do drugs until senior year. So like I was just like, I'm never drinking again. Senior year, that's when I started doing drugs and started drinking. 
And it started off just on a Friday and Saturday night. And it was kind of normal in the beginning, but then I started drinking to excess and it started rolling over into the weekdays. Then I started cutting class to get high, started cutting class to go drink and hang out with my friends. And I, and I gradually stopped doing all my athletics. Like my friends changed, my priorities changed. All I wanted to do was get messed up and have fun and party. That's when it really started going downhill. When I went into the Marine Corps, all we did was drink. Um, I didn't do drugs, but all we did was seriously drink. And when we drank, we either passed out, threw up, or got in fights and got in trouble. Like it was on another level. And that continued from when I got home in my 20s, up until my 30s, up until my 40s, just drinking almost every single day. And it wasn't a six pack, it was a 12 pack or 18. And the last year, a year and a half of my addiction, the beer just wasn't enough for me. So I started drinking um, whiskey and I just wanted the beer just wasn't doing it. I wanted that immediate, like that feeling I was missing it. So I stopped drinking beer and I started just drinking whiskey. Like I didn't drink beer anymore. I started drinking fireball whiskey and I started getting the sleeves. There was about 10 of them in a sleeve and I would go through them before one o'clock in the afternoon, all 10 of them. And then I would go back to the liquor store and get 10 more. The last year of my addiction, I was drinking 25 fireballs a day. And my addict mind would tell me, don't get a big bottle, because then I would really know how much I was drinking. But if I got these little miniatures, I could just throw them back and throw them in the trash. And I would forget how much I was drinking because I didn't want to face the fact that I was drinking that much alcohol. But I was. I was drinking 20 to 25 miniatures a day. It got to the point where. I crashed my new truck. I went out the next day. I rear-ended somebody. So within 24 hours, I, I wrecked my truck twice. And I, I didn't remember. I get home and my wife's like, you can't stay here. She's like, this is too much. She's like, you got to go. So I went to my friend's house and I hung out there for a little bit. And I was like, I can't stay here. I, I got to go figure this out. And I go and I sleep in my truck for 48 hours. And all I did was sit in the back of my truck and drink. I didn't eat. I listened to sad songs. I did the whole, I'm a piece of shit. Like, I don't belong to be here. I was just, it was just wallowing in my sorrows. I was feeling sorry for myself, right? And I had my phone off for 48 hours. I turned it on at seven after 10 in the morning on Friday morning. And at nine after 10, the phone rings. And I pick it up and it's Brandon Nova. And he's like, lodging. What in the F are you doing? And I'm like, man, I'm hungry. I'm tired. I'm drunk, cold. And he said, good. That's what you need. He's like, I just talked to your wife and your mom. He goes, we have a plane ticket set for you tonight at 830. You're going to go down to Banyan Treatment Centers in West Palm Beach, Florida, and you're going to go get help. He's like, and I promise you, everything that you've lost, you'll gain back 10 times. And he says, I love you. Call me when you get past security. So you're not going to get in a taxi and take off after you get dropped off at the airport. I'm like, okay. So I get home. Well, my wife called. Sorry, my wife, 20 minutes go by and my wife called. She said, hey, I just got off the phone with Brandon. She said, please come home. Take a shower. Pack your bags. Try to eat something and take a little nap before you have to go to the, to the airport. I'm like, okay. So I get home. I couldn't eat. My stomach was in knots, man. I was like so worried about going to rehab. 
And so I took a shower and I just laid on the bed for a little bit. I was crying and crying. I go down to the basement and I throw a rope around my neck and I stand on a bucket. And I guess about three, four minutes go by and my wife noticed I wasn't in the bedroom. And she comes down the steps and she sees me standing on a bucket with a rope around my neck and I'm crying. And she says, what are you doing? And I said, I can't do this. I was like, I just, I, I want the pain to stop. I can't do this anymore. And she says, please, please get down. Everything is going to be all right. Do you know what this would do to your children? They're going to get help. Everything is going to be all right. Just please get down. So I get down and I, I, I think I sat there for like 10 minutes crying in a ball. <clears throat> and I go back upstairs and I pick up my phone. I'm like, I call Brandon. I'm like, hey, man, I'm ready. I said, if I don't go tonight, I'm going to kill myself. I was like, I, I can't do this anymore. And he's like, okay, I'm proud of you. I love you. Call me when you get past security. So I go to the airport, get past security, and I call him. And all he says again is, I'm proud of you. I love you. Talk to you later. And hangs up. And I go, and I sit down at the seat. And I got about 30 minutes before the plane takes off. And I sit down, man, and this overwhelming feeling of hope comes over my entire body. You know, the first time in my life that I ever felt like everything was going to be all right. Something told me everything is going to be all right. It was the most amazing feeling I've ever had in my life, man. All this weight lifted off my shoulders. The anxiety went away from going to rehab. And I knew that this was the time in my life at this age that this was the time I'm going to go get help. So I go to rehab. I did 32 days in rehab and I, I jumped in with both feet. I didn't miss any meetings. I actually went to extra meetings because I was in the military. So they had extra meetings for military members that suffer from PTSD. I did extra meetings twice a week for two hours. And um, I did all the homework that they asked me to do. I journaled. I did every single thing that they asked me to do. I mean, I went, I went addicted, addictive mode in, in the recovery. Like I, I completely switched my addiction into recovery and I did 32 days and I came home and I did 98 meetings in 90 days. Like I went full force and I've really believed that doing the 98, 90 or even 90 and 90, but I did 98, 90. I really truly believe that that set a, uh, um, a schedule for me that, that really helped me to realize that recovery is the way that I should be living my life. Because being sober and being in recovery is there's just two different animals. You know, you can be sober and be miserable, but in recovery, it teaches you how to be a better human being. You know, it teaches you how to be a better son, father, friend. And, and I really can't believe the difference of myself. I can actually look in the mirror and like the person that looks back to me. When before I didn't want to look at myself, I, I, I hated my, I hated who I've become. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity at a second chance in life at 45 years old. I mean, I drank for 27 years. That's three quarters of my life. And I, I don't want to say I wasted it because now I realize that's just the path that I had to go through. That was my journey and my story. So I'm not going to say I wasted it, but 
that's a long time to drink and and be lost in this world and not know why you're truly here. And now that I believe that I found my purpose, and that is to help others share my story, man, I'm just so amazed that I get a second chance in life and I'm not going to waste it. I'm coming for everything that alcohol promised me and took from me. I'm coming for it all. Man, that's such a powerful story, man. And I'm so grateful that you shared that with us, man. That I, I know a lot of people are going to be able to relate to that and just I, I was at that same point too, man, when I, when I found recovery, where I was at the point where I didn't want to live anymore, but I was too big of a coward to actually kill myself. You know, like I, I could never go through with it, but I always had those thoughts and like fantasized about killing myself. And I remember talking to a friend and they said, well, before you do that, why don't you give the recovery thing a shot? What else do I have to lose? You know, I might as well try this, you know, cause I had tried like you were talking about the difference between recovery and sobriety. Like I had tried white knuckling it a few times and trying to stop on my own without any kind of program or plan or anything in place. I could get a couple days under my belt and then I would just be so miserable that I'd go back to it. So yeah, all of our stories are so similar. You know, we have, there's so many similarities and parallels with addiction, you know, even though we've never met, like I'm sure we've, felt some of the same feelings and had those same similar experiences. And and I'm sure that people listening to this are also sitting at home going, yeah, I've been there too. I, I know what that feels like. Yeah. That dude, that, that lost feeling of hopelessness, man, that's a scary place to be. It, it really is. Especially if you're not sharing it with anybody and you're just thinking about all the voices in your head telling you, I mean, that is a very, very scary place to be by yourself. And, you know, I read something the other day. It was really awesome. I thought, your life is like a 400-mile NASCAR track. And the driver's getting around, and they wave the white flag, and he knows he only has two more laps. Well, addicts get to that last lap, and they pull the white flag out themselves, not knowing that only in two more laps they can taste victory. They give up for finishing it, finishing the race. And... That is so true because 99% of people quit when they're so close and they don't even know it. And, you know, my advice would be just don't lose hope. Don't give up because right around the corner could be the miracle you've always been waiting for. Absolutely, man. Well, I'd love for you to, to share with us some of the things that you're working on now and what your life looks like now that you've found recovery. And it sounds like you're pretty active in your program. You mentioned doing 98 meetings in 90 days and you know, I did a similar, I did 90 and 90 when I first, well, I guess my second time around, I did 90 and 90 and, <laughs> and yeah, that, that was a good firm foundation for me to get in that, the right mindset of recovery. So what does your life look like today? Um, right now, well, um, after the 90, 90, I, I scaled back a little bit and I, I did four meetings a week because I wanted to start working on, you know, my physical well-being and my spiritual well-being. So I started going to the gym every day. Um, I started, I'd go to work, go to the gym, hit a meeting and then come home and spend two or three hours with my family. I wanted to find that, that, that happy balance in between everything. I didn't want to burn myself out with meetings. I did not want to have time not to spend with my family. So now it's been 11 and a half months. I'm coming up on, on, on a year in two and a half weeks. And, um, I'm, I'm preparing for my first bodybuilding show in June. 
That's something that I've always wanted to do in my life. Growing up, my mother was a professional bodybuilder. My uncle was Mr. Universe. My cousin was Mr. Marilyn a couple of years. Like it's been in my blood and I've always admired the determination and the perseverance and the dedication to do that. And I've always exercised and worked out and stayed in shape, but alcohol always stopped me from doing that. So now I am truly focused in making that dream come true in my life. So I go to work, I come home, I go to the gym and I save my meetings for the weekends. Now I do one on Saturday and two on Sunday, one in the morning and one in the evening. And it kind of like going Saturday and Sunday morning kind of ends my weekend or ends my week. And then a Sunday night prepares me for my week coming up. So I kind of do the three on the weekends, kind of like, you know, it, it gets me through what happened during the week. And then the Sunday night prepares me for the next week coming up. So I found that complete balance. I read my daily reflections every day to keep me grounded and to reflect on my life. I, I try to read as much as possible. Um, I do my, my book. I read chapters out of my book a couple of days out of the week. And I pray. I've never done that before. I kind of didn't really believe that there was a higher power of no of any such sort because I was so lost. And that is a really big part of my recovery is having faith again in higher power and not praying for myself. I pray for other people and I and I thank my higher power for another day of sobriety, a chance, a, a second chance at life, and the ability to be a better friend, husband, son. And father, and I thank him. I don't ask for. Oh, I help him win the lottery. You know, I my my prayers have changed. I don't want anything for myself. I thank him for the things that he's given me, and you know, reading, physical activity, and spending time with my family has really been my my core to my my recovery. I remembered this whole last year. And I can't tell you the last time I remembered a whole year of my life. My 20s and 30s were a blur, man. Birthday parties, Christmases, you know, holiday events were all a blur because I was always messed up. You know, I, I remember tidbits and, and this and that. But this year, all the birthdays, Christmases, and, and you know, my daughter's having, having, my, having a grandson. I'm having a grandson. Like, I can just appreciate all this cool stuff in my life now. I'm thankful that I have that I get to go to work, that I get to spend time with my family. You know, my buddy told me the other day, man, I, I don't have time. I, I got to go to work tomorrow. I got to go to the gym. I was like, why don't you change that one word? I got to, to, I get to, I said, change your perspective. I said, because there's a lot of people that don't have jobs. There's a lot of people that don't have the physical ability to take care of themselves and get to the gym. There's a lot of people whose families have left them and they're by themselves. You get a chance to do these things. So be appreciative of what you still have because a lot of people lose everything in addiction. Nobody wants to talk to them anymore. They cut them out of their lives. And that is such a hard place to be. And that's a, that's a great message. And I love, I love that change of perspective from, from like, I have to do these, these, these things. I, and I get to like, that's such a, such a powerful message man so thank you for sharing that absolutely yeah we're, we're getting towards the end of our time so i'd love to give you the opportunity if there's anybody that's listening that wants to connect with you 
or follow along in your bodybuilding journey or whatever it may be? What are some ways that people can find you, whether that be social media or a website or how can they find you? I'm on Instagram at T-L-O-D-G-E-N, at T-Login. I'm on Facebook as Timothy Login, and I post all, all my recovery stuff, all my podcasts, um, my quotes that I put, and, uh, and my transformation pictures of how I looked right before I went to rehab and how I look now. I, I, I couldn't even believe it when I looked at the pictures. I look like a totally different person. I, I just try to inspire people as much as I can on a daily basis to let them know that they're not alone. They don't suffer in silence. Everybody that has addiction or mental health illnesses, we know what you're going through. We're here to help. Don't think that you're the only person that goes through this pain by yourselves because there are others like us that have been through there and we are willing to help them through this. I, I say on my, on my Instagram page, if you're sitting in the dark, I will come and sit with you and we will both find the light together because there's nothing worse than being by yourself and thinking there's no way out. I lost hope and it almost took my life. Don't lose hope. Don't give up. Get up and make things happen for yourself because everything always changes. Your emotional thinking always changes and everything does get better. Mm. I'm, I'm loving all the messages you're dropping, all the positivity, man. It's, it's great. And I'm, I'm so grateful that you came on the show today and, and shared part of your story with this man. I'm sure it's going to touch a lot of people and, and hopefully somebody that needs to hear this message will tune in and they'll, they'll hear just the right thing that they need to hear. And it just gets them to that point where they realize that, you know, maybe this recovery thing could work for them or maybe they're, you know, thinking about, harming themselves and and something you say inspires them to to not do it man so i really do appreciate you coming on and, and sharing with us i appreciate you having me i'm i'm very honored and humbled to be asked to be on the podcast man. and and it's just it's so cool that i'm asked and and reciprocated to to actually do this because without gentlemen and and females like you that have podcasts and that are doing this I wouldn't be able to speak. Others wouldn't be able to speak to get their message out. So what I believe what you're doing is incredible, man. Thank you so much for doing the podcast. I appreciate that, man. Tim, thank you again for coming on the show today, man. I really do appreciate you coming on here and sharing part of your story with us. I know it's going to help a lot of people. If you guys are interested in following along in Tim's bodybuilding journey or seeing some of his motivational posts, be sure to check out the links in the show notes. You've been listening to Recovery Survey. If you got anything out of today's episode, I'd ask you to please leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can find us at recoverysurvey.com. You can listen to all of our episodes on the website as well as connect with us on social media where you can get previews for upcoming episodes.